This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. 30 seconds to air. What do you think about flowers for the show notes? Anyone have the promo for the show notes? Where's the Fiji water? Is this, this isn't, is this tap water? 15 seconds. Can somebody get the cat? I can't drink tap Grab water. Grab the cat. Can, can someone tell Joe's mom to stop vacuuming? It's not hard to find. Has anybody this seen feet. my hair gel? Artesian water. Natural. Quiet on the set. Live in three, two. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and 401... 401k? 401k? What the heck is that? And the Roth and dollar cost averaging out. We're going we're gonna to talk about all the jargon on today's show with our special guest, the host of the Investing with the Buy Side podcast, Nate Abercrombie. Plus, from Afford Anything, Paula Pant and... Just back from telling his mom to reaffix the tags on all her pillows so the FBI doesn't arrest her, it's OG. And in our Friday FinTech segment, what if you could pay off your debt faster and get the small wins that Debt Snowball provides? Here from the Destiny app, we welcome Parker Graham. Of course, we'll still answer a magnify money call for help and tie this thing down with my amazing trivia. And now, a guy who's ready to help you get your weekend started, Joe Salcihai. And I'm so ready, so ready for the weekend, and I'm excited we're starting it with you. Hey, everybody, I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and welcome back. I'll also say welcome back to this guy across the table from me, my good friend OG. How are you, man? Uh, I'm fantastic after our uh, quick trip out west to visit some folks in San Francisco and Seattle. Thanks to everybody for coming out. Wasn't that fun? Awesome. It is always so fun. I'm always surprised that uh, people don't run when we walk in the room. I'm surprised that people walk into the room that we're in. So <laughs> Once they know that we're there, all those exactly. people violate the restraining It has something order. to do with the open... open bar, open tab. <laughs> Usually you make a lot of friends at a bar when you're like, it's on us. It's always funny what beer does. Speaking of beer, I have no idea where I'm going with that. Just back from Austin, Texas, but just back from Austin, Massachusetts, I mean. Austin, Massachusetts. Yeah, sorry right. about that. It, from Afford Anything, it's Paula Pant. So, true story. For the longest time, I didn't know what the phrase open bar meant, and I thought that it referred to a bar that was open, <laughs> like just a bar that was open for business. And so this one time I'm at a conference, and I was talking to this guy named John, 
And we were walking past this bar and I, I mentioned, I was like, oh yeah, it's a, and it's an open bar. And then I saw how excited he got. Like I could see the expression <laughs> on his face the minute like, I said what? that. An open bar? And as soon as I saw the expression on his face, I realized that that phrase did not meant what I thought it meant. <laughs> I still didn't know what it meant, but I could tell that his enthusiasm was disproportionate to what I thought it meant. <laughs> and now that you know what it really means, you get more excited too. Totally, totally. But then I, I very quickly had to be like, no, 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 I mean, not an open bar. I mean, not. And he was like, why would you joke about that? And I was like, uh, never mind. I got to go. And then I like ran off and Googled it. Right, right. So I, I got to go to the restroom. She sits down in a stall and immediately takes out her phone. <laughs> yeah. What is an open bar? <laughs> yes. Well, let's find out if our guest for today knows what an open bar or not is. I hope so. If he's hanging out with us, he should know what an open bar is. Here for the Investing with the Buy Side podcast, it's our new friend, Nate Abercrombie. How are you, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, I'm so excited you could be here with us. So tell everybody about the podcast, because I love what you do. You talk to a lot of CEOs. Yeah, yeah. So I used to work as an investment analyst, and part of the job was sitting down and talking to senior management, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, and even sometimes investor relations. And so, I don't know, I just kind of felt like it was uh, something that gives well, gives every sort of professional investor an advantage. And I thought that, well, maybe it'd be nice for just everybody else to hear these types of interviews. So I kind of do the same thing. I just you know, set up a call with a, a management team from a usually a publicly traded company and um, ask them questions, investment-related questions, the same sort of questions that I used to ask when I was doing this for as a profession. So Except now, instead of it being you and people that invested in the fund or whatever company you worked with, now I get to be a fly on the wall listening to those same questions you ask. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I thought was pretty appealing about it. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Well, geez, oh, oh gee, if Nate actually analyzed this podcast, our stock would we, go we down. I was going to say, we, what's the phrase that we want to use? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just read your, uh, the, the, what's the, what's the, the, what's the, yes. the, the fifth amendment thing. I, uh, right. If our PR person sitting next to us telling us to stick to the talking points <laughs> on the basis, uh, on the advice of counsel, I've, I've wait, uh, implemented my fifth amendment, right? Yeah, exactly. Don't share anything that's material, non-public guys, please. Would you often Nate, have to fly and like stay overnight at these places where you go interview people? No, no, I don't have the budget to do something like that. I usually just do it over the phone and, and I've actually had a couple of, uh, of companies that are based out of, so I'm based out of Denver and some of the companies that I've interviewed, they either have a subsidiary that's out here or they're based out here and they'll come out and they'll let me know when they're in town and I'll go down to their office and, and yeah, just sit down and pull out the mics. And that's actually a lot of fun. I like doing, doing that a lot more than just doing it over the phone. Yeah. I think that, uh, if you ever like are gone for a night, I don't know how to try to, how do I, how do I, hold on, hold on a second, Nate. You threw me for a loop. Hold, hold on a minute. Uh, You'll see where this oh, is going. Yeah. I, I see where it is too. Yeah. I guess I misspoke. No. I'm usually the one pulling out the dirty jokes, but uh, get your mind out of the gutter. Come on now, Joe. No, I'm, I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about <laughs> anything there. 
I'm, I was trying to lead into the fact that Airbnb was nice enough to sponsor this podcast and they make it really okay. affordable for people to stay places. <laughs> thanks. Thanks to Airbnb for supporting stack. I don't even know what, what my mind was supposedly thinking about there. Whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting an Airbnb might be just the best investment you haven't made yet. Head to Airbnb.com slash SB to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our listeners. Terms and conditions apply. Nate, you see where I was heading with that? Yeah. I was helping you make some more money with the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Stacking Benjamins is also brought to you by Murder Book. Nate's about to murder me. A new, tr- <laughs> a new true crime podcast hosted by bestselling author Michael Connolly, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Be sure to check out Dark Sacred Night, Michael Connolly's latest number one bestseller. It's so good. Featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask Paula about the Netflix show, Bosch, but there's, there's no way you've watched that. Bosch? Posh? What's the name of this show? You have no idea what you're missing, Paula. It's fantastic. Bosh, Kosh, <laughs> That's right. On that hopeful note, we, we better get this show started because we got to talk about, speaking of terms that people don't know anything about, let's start talking about jargon in the financial industry. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our headline today comes to us from investment management firm Invesco, and I found this study interesting that they do. Normally, we don't we do not do company studies, but I thought this is really timely because, and OG, you and I have talked about this on the show before sometimes about how much jargon there is. Uh, mm-hmm. We did a little headline about this, but I I'll thought- say Just recently, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and having Nate here who talks to CEOs all the time and, and has been an industry insider, knowing what all that jargon is, and Paula, I'm sure, Paula, you always have to fight jargon when you're writing a new piece or trying to break down concepts on the show. I love this thing. So quoting from the beginning of this study, it says, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. Despite great strides in plan sponsors, it's basically people that do retirement plans, that they've made over the past 30 years in providing participants with in-depth education, guidance, and tools, many are still challenged in their ability to engage, inform, and motivate employees to save for retirement. Participant communication continues to be named a top three area of focus in 2018 as people that run these programs uh, continually seek to refine their existing programs and make it easier for people uh, to understand what they're doing. So, so let's talk about some of these, these things, Nate, and we'll start with you. I love some of these phrases that they love phrases like free money. It says, if, if you tell people there's free money, apparently Nate, people like that and they want to invest more. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I certainly do. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's just an issue of like people actually paying attention to, I mean, people's retirement accounts just aren't something that, especially young people, I mean, it's very interesting to look at, you know, how they sort of put it in different buckets. You've got millennials, you've got Gen Xers, and you've got boomers and how different sort of generations look at these different terms and phrases and feel differently about them. You know, it's a function of if you're young, when you hear retirement savings account, retirement plan, whatever it is, they're not really thinking about sort of what the details are, or what it means. I, I think that most people just kind of like, ah, they just brush it under the rug and, and, and they just move on with what is important, which is getting their job done and, the, and, and just seeing their salary and their income. But anytime I hear match, I know exactly what that means. But free money, that obviously is a lot more appealing. You know, some of the other terms in there, 
I don't know. I don't know if I feel very strongly about I, I think this whole report is just a little bit funny in the sense that it's kind of like a sales technique. You know, they're telling people how they should pitch their in this case, the sale is getting people to spend or put more of their money, more of their paycheck in a retirement account as opposed to doing something else with it. Yeah, which, because, I mean, you're selling people on investing toward their goals. Sure, sure. But, I mean, this isn't the only way to invest. I mean, whenever I see free match or match or free money, I'm obviously going to jump at that because I know what both of them mean. But just from the perspective of, I don't know, when you think about whether or not it's appropriate to put all of your money in your 401k as opposed to opening up a brokerage account and having a lot more options. I don't know. I feel kind of strongly about this. So having come from the mutual fund space, I'm somewhat cynical maybe, but I think the study is kind of interesting just in terms of like, it's almost like the behavioral economics books that Kahneman is right, written and just how words trigger different emotions in different people. I love this idea, though, Paula, that if you describe it as free money, it works. But he knows what the word match means. But apparently there's a lot of people there that don't understand match. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, in what other context, assuming that you're not a money nerd, assuming that you're not the type of person who listens to personal finance podcasts for fun, in what other context do you hear the word match applied to your money? You don't. You hear match like match.com, you got a date, or these clothes match. Those are the only contexts in which you hear that. So no wonder it's confusing. People have never heard that word in this context before. Whereas the word free, you hear the word free in the context of money and finances all the time. But you know, and back to Nate's other point, Paula, which is being skeptical a little bit when you hear free. I hear free. Free kind of makes me a little skeptical. Oh, you're giving me free money? What's the catch? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So another way to talk about it, although this is a little bit more wordy and weighed down, is like, yo, that's part of your paycheck, but your employer's not going to actually give that to you in your paycheck. He or she is only going to give it to you in this other way instead. Yeah. But it's funny. That's a different way to describe it, but there's no concise way that I figured out. Well, well, and that's funny. And OG, let's bring you into the conversation because they tried different ways of saying this to plan participants. And of the four ways that they described it, if I miss out on the match, that's like saying no to a raise. The one that in my mind speaks more like Paula is talking about, you're giving up a raise by giving this up. Only 6% of people said that resonated with them. It's like people, people don't realize, I, I, I mean, what's, why not? Is not positive enough? Well, I think that's it. I think it has to do with the way the message is delivered. And unfortunately, Nate brought this up. It, it's a little bit of a sales technique. I remember another company and I can't remember who it is. I have the book, but it's in a back room somewhere that I got at a mutual fund conference about like, here's how you say these different things. So, you know, if you're going to say your 401k match, don't say 401k match, say free money. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if Invesco or uh, who did they buy Van Campen or something like that? So maybe Van Campen sponsored it originally or something. Nevertheless, I think when it comes to something like this, you do have to talk to people the way that has a high likelihood of motivating them to move toward the things that they need to do. Because all of this kind of comes back to responsibility. And as an employer, part of their responsibility is the education of their employers on this, on you know, on their workplace plans. So in this context, yeah, the employer needs to be able to speak to people so that they understand it in a form that can potentially motivate people to continue to save. 
Nate, back to you on the second one. And here I think we'll get into a little bit more of the sales pitchiness, which is trying to teach people how target date funds work. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, gee, I just uh, threw up in my mouth a little bit. But the <laughs> me too. Uh, but target date funds, 48% of people, they say, responded, most people responded best to you have a customized strategy designed to help you balance growth potential and risk tolerance as you get closer to retirement. Nate, the big key words are managed for you. A target date fund, if you say managed for you, is that kind of not completely truthful? You know, it's funny because I had to look up target date fund. I didn't even know what the hell that was. I I, I don't think the mutual fund company uh, that I worked for they may offer something like that, but I go through the brokerage account that I use, and this isn't a plug, but is Fidelity. And I know that very often, I guess it was about a year before I left the firm that I worked at, we started receiving these emails that was that were basically saying that you have a free resource in Fidelity. You reach out to us and we'll tell you how we can plan sort of your your retirement strategy for the next several decades. My thought was, well, it's just interesting that they're doing this pitch to people who are actually managing money, which I just thought was a little bit ironic. But then on the same token, like, I, I don't know if that that's not a particular fund, you know, that has a target date and, you know, promises to give you a certain return over a certain period of time. I don't even know if that's exactly what a target date fund does. I think that if it does do that, then the people that are managing those types of funds should be sued because you can't promise a certain return over a certain period of time, unless it's like 1%, you're only investing in treasury bonds or something. So, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I was at a little bit of a loss whenever I, I saw this, the second bullet, because I'm very unfamiliar with target date funds. I was going to say, you are now deep into the world of individual investments then. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. target date funds for this audience, I think is something they hear every day. I think a lot of 401ks it really lean. I, I don't know, Paula, in my mind, they let's talk about target date funds. They lean a little heavy on target date funds. Yeah, absolutely. Target date funds were one of the first things that I learned about when I started learning about the world of mutual funds and index funds. Actually, I think I knew what a target date fund was before I ever heard of an index fund. I, I think it goes that far back. Wait, wow. <laughs> if you don't mind clarifying it for me, I mean, is it, you know, is there a certain date that it opens up, you pull in investors, and you're part of like a certain age group where you sort of have a target date for when you want to retire, then they yeah. put you in this bucket with the same sort of age cohort. And then they then manage those investments so that they become less risky or less volatile over time. Exactly. So they asset allocate based on timeline to retirement. So you can choose what you what retirement date you want. And typically, like at Vanguard, they're in five-year increments. So you can choose target date 2040 or 2045 or 2050 or 2055. Hey, Paula, depending on, mm-hmm. some of us are 50 years old. There's also a 2025. There's also the 2025 <laughs> fund. Easy, girlfriend. <laughs> target date 2070. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whoa. <laughs> But there's two things that they do too, Nate. Uh, Some are glide to and some are glide through, meaning they completely land the assets into those type of investments you're talking about where they're practically guaranteed or are guaranteed at the target date. But most are glide through where they know you're not going to need all the assets, but that you're going to begin cherry picking at that point. Um, I see. Yeah. But still the vast majority and Paula referenced Vanguard, Vanguard's target date funds, just before we get a bunch of letters, are one of the few that we really 
that we like. I think it's managed well, but there's a lot of them out there where you have a manager who's picking mutual funds to put inside the target date fund. And Nate, guess where all those mutual funds come from? From the company, from the company that's running the target date fund. So you have a manager who's picking inside products that might not be selling so well, shoving them into this other product, and you get this bloated thing that that may or may not be as advertised. But to that note, OG, they talk about clear descriptions of target date funds. Manage for you, achieve your goals, stay on track, risk reduction path. To some degree, those are true. I'm a big fan of the, you have an all-inclusive asset allocation portfolio that is dynamically rebalanced with investments that have a low correlation. Like, did they purposefully <laughs> try to find things that, that, that most people go, wait, wh- what's happening? And by the way, of the three ways, of the three ways to explain it, just so people catch up with what we can see and our listeners can't, unless you want to download this from the show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. This was the least effective, shockingly, the least effective <laughs> the way least effective Invesco way. Yeah. said to explain this. Yeah, I think that when you know when it comes to the to the target date funds thing, the only thing that I don't like is the customized strategy word. That makes it sound like old Peter Lynch is uh, you know sitting down with with your investment portfolio and creating a customized solution. No, that's not it. It's just a fund of funds, you know, that has some big companies and small companies and some international and some fixed income. And as you get closer to retirement, it becomes a little bit more heavily weighted toward fixed income and a little less weighted toward equities. But uh, that's that's not exceptionally customized in my book. But achieve your goals, manage for you. You know, that's all kind of true. Let's end on this one. It's the piece says among plan sponsors, plan providers, advisors, and consultants, the term glide path is widely used. But when we ask participants to define what we mean by a target date funds glide path, the term ranked the lowest of all descriptors with the more specific risk reduction path resonating highest. Clearly plain English makes a stronger impact over industry jargon. Paula, risk reduction path. You like that better than glide path? (laughs) Risk reduction. Actually, the one that surprised me is that less aggressive, the phrase less aggressive is something that didn't go over well, but the phrase more conservative did go over well. So framing it in the positive, more conservative, played better than framing it in the negative, less aggressive. Do you think that's, Nate, when people hear less aggressive, they think, well, you're still aggressive, you're just less so. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely think that. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, I don't know, I I don't know why less aggressive would be, would be less other than that. Well, before we get your final take on this, guys, I just got to say some terminology we all know something about is making extra money. Thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Stacky Benjamins. Whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Worried about your property? Airbnb offers a host guarantee that helps protect your property and the unlikely event that something goes wrong. It's free to list your home and you're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Host when you want, host how you want, list a single bedroom or the entire place. It's all up to you. And it's funny, guys, we talk a lot about making extra money on this show. We talk about it over and over and over again, and it's super easy to do. And it's funny, a lot of us, you know, we like to travel. (laughs) We talked early on about you traveling. Well, make extra money when you travel, which is something Airbnb hosts often do. Somebody else is at home paying for your trip while you're out having fun. How about that? Or make extra money, which you can use to pay down your debt. If you've got stacks of debt, 
why wouldn't you look at Airbnb? Save up for retirement, get your financial independence in order sooner. Stack more Benjamins, like we said on Wednesday, stack more Benjamins with Airbnb. Connect with people from around the world, make new friends, meet new people, show off your community, strengthen the local economy. Airbnb helps keep you protected with a team available 24 7 to help with any issues, whether that's rebooking assistance, refunds, or their million dollar host guarantee. For Stacky Benjamin's listeners, head to airbnb.com slash SB to start hosting. And you know what? You're going to receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Again, receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th by heading to airbnb.com slash SB. That's A-I-R-B-N-B dot com slash SB and start hosting. Uh, OG, take away from jargon. You're a guy that kind of lives this stuff every day. How do you stay away from jargon? I try to make it as, as plain English as possible because you're right. At the end of the day, when it comes to communication, when you and I are talking or Paul and I are talking or something like that, we can use these terms to kind of speed through a conversation. But when you're talking with somebody who has no idea what you're talking about, you can't say things like basis points and glide path and volatility and that sort of stuff. You have to say things that people understand, like the ups and downs of the stock market or becoming more conservative as time goes on. That I think is a is a common theme and just something that all professionals, whether financial professionals or anybody, when you're communicating with people outside of your industry, you have to be better at being a little bit more precise. Paul, I'm going to change the question a little bit, which mm-hmm. is for people out there listening, often they have people talking over their heads. They don't know what some, a word means or a phrase, like let's say open bar. How do, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you, I mean, I'm just throwing that out. I don't know where I thought of that, but. Uh, everybody in the bar, like the bar and restaurant industry, the beverage industry, using these fancy terms. <laughs> but, but but if somebody out there doesn't understand, you know how afraid people are to admit they don't understand a term. How do you propose they get around that with the person they're talking to? Uh, one thing that I have learned over the years is to just flat out say like, I don't know what X means. Like, for example, I was once talking to uh, somebody who was trying to sell insurance and she kept using the word adjudicated. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) The first time that you do it, it's scary, but there's a lot of power in having the courage and the strength to just say, what does that mean? And I learned this from a friend of mine who I watched him do that over and over and over. And uh, rather than that making him look weaker, it made him look stronger. And it showed that he was listening and that he wanted to learn. So that's what I would encourage everyone who's uh, who's listening to this is if you come across a word that you don't mean, just say, hey, I don't know what that means. Nate, what does you, open bar mean? <laughs> Nate, you talk to these CEOs all the time, and I'm sure they all speak jargon about their industry. And a lot of time you don't know what they're talking about. How do you get around it the way Paula does? Just straightforward, say, I don't know what that means. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the problems with the industry of finance is that a lot of even if you don't know what it is, you're scared of looking like a goofball in front of either a CEO or another investor. And lots of times people will just sort of move on to the next subject. And it's just not the best way to do things. You really need to just if you look like an idiot, maybe you think you look like an idiot, but you really aren't. You're you're the one who's learning. And I completely agree with Paula. And just ask. And how do I deal with it? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's 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 very difficult from at least from a podcasting perspective because 
you know, there's a lot of terms that are. So, you know, I covered energy and industrials, a few industrials when I was in the industry. And most of the interviews that I've had so far are energy and industrial related. And so oftentimes they'll use acronyms are just a killer too. But acronyms get thrown out all the time and you're just expected to know what they are. And in my show, I try to put in just a little bit of an, like either at the beginning or the end, just try to describe what the acronyms are. But sometimes I'll even just completely, if it's a, you know, a subject or an industry that I'm familiar with, I'll just completely forget that that person said it. Maybe the listener doesn't know what that acronym means, but it just becomes sort of second nature to you. And as, you know, people in our shoes who are trying to help people learn, it's something that you got to make things very clear, crystal clear to, to, to people who aren't familiar with either the industry or the subsector or whatever it is. Well, not only is he a finance geek and a guy who loves, 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 loves helping people pay off debt. We'll hear his story in a second. Graham Parker was also, get this, OG, a professional football player for the Baltimore Ravens. Very cool. I know. How about that? But today he's with us because he's one of the designers of the Destiny app where they take behavioral economics like the snowball method of paying off debt which people have said is a suboptimal way of paying off debt when you look at it mathematically and give you enough enough information to actually get those wins. So get the behavioral economic wins. Nate, when you think about economics and investing, how much does behavioral economics play into what you do? Uh, I think it's a huge part of the job. You know, when you think about what behavioral economics is, it's just basically your how your psychology factors into economic decisions and so from an investment standpoint your psychology gets involved it gets in the way all the time and some of the best investors out there one of the things that they'll encourage anyone who wants to become an investor or even current investors to just sort of make non-emotional or unemotional decisions and it's extremely difficult so let's just say that if you don't own mutual funds and you own individual stocks and you've got one that goes down an enormous amount, you probably feel a lot more pain psychologically than you do if the stock goes up. Well, not pain, but the emotion, sure. emotional reaction is yeah. just much stronger if it's going down because it's that fear of losing money. But, you know, for me, behavioral economics is, is a huge part of what I do personally and what I try to do professionally. Well, they say to become an investor, you should pay off your debt and get your emergency fund in order. So here to start us on their way toward what Nate's talking about, let's say hello to one of the founders of the Destiny app, Graham Parker. And coming down the stairs to tell us all about the Destiny app, it's my good friend Parker Graham. How are you, man? Hey, Joe. Doing good. Thanks for having us. Well, so is it as you're in Kansas City, right? Yes, sir. Is Freezing it as, cold. I was. <laughs> we moved to Detroit. Somebody's got to turn the heat up. I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if I yes, like sir. it. But the good news for us is that because it's cold, you've been inside working very busy with your team on the Destiny app. Let's Let's talk about the genesis of this. Did you guys have issues with credit card debt or did you see an opportunity in the market? Tell me about where the idea came from. Yeah. So that's actually, that's a really interesting story. So I actually grew up um, with a single mother 
being a single mom with three kids, she had to figure out a way to provide for us. And she actually decided at the age of 33 to go back to college and become a nurse. And that's it took cool. Her, yeah. It's her, she's, she's an amazing lady and a lot of where my work ethic and, and attitude towards work ethic comes from. Um, so she ended up going to college and uh, graduated in six years, which was awesome working two jobs, um, going full time as a student. When I became an advisor after I was done with my football career, I quickly realized how she actually made that happen for us. And we used to joke, my siblings and I used to joke that it was magic. She would just figure out ways to pay for things that we thought would never even be possible. And come to find out, she was in a lot of debt. It took her over 20 years and over $50,000 to pay back that six-year education because of the things she wanted to provide for myself and my brother and my sister. I played a lot of AAU basketball and you know traveling sports and stuff. And so those tournaments cost money and she decided to provide that for us versus paying off those debts. So it took her a long time to get out of it. I moved from that experience to, you know, seeing what a lot of hyper wealth can do for individuals like in the NFL who never had money and they get into a lot of debt really quick. And so it just as an advisor, I was trying to sit there and think, man, I could really spend a lot of time helping wealthy people get wealthier or I could turn around and create something that could have a lasting impact helping people get out of debt who can't even think about wealth because they're just so burdened by it. So that's really where the idea came from was just trying to help people more like my mom, more like, um, you know, people in their younger, you know, mid twenties to thirties who don't even know where to start. They're just so burdened by debt from, you know, whether it's student loans or credit cards or whatever you may have. And we wanted to create a tool that could help them finally get out of that hole. The sad news is I've even seen, I mean, I know you target people in their twenties and thirties, but I sadly, I see people in their fifties still doing the same back and forth and never get out of the, never get out of the cycle. That's right. You know, it's amazing when you look at just debt um, across the age spectrum, you know, you would think right now there's so much news about millennials having so much student loan debt and all this stuff. But in reality, people in their middle 50s, you know, mid 50s to early 50s actually have the most student debt because of the deferral um, of interest rates that they've done. So what's even scarier is if you look at wage growth from 1988 to now, after inflation, it's really been stagnant, while at the same time, education expense has grown 400%. Yeah. So it's really, it's a no-brainer as to why people are struggling with debt, because right now, a millennial who's getting out of school has a 400 times larger hole than the person that they had in the job before them in 1988. So it's just this this vicious cycle that is occurring, and it's only getting worse. And we want to be the ones that carry that flag that say, Instead of just consolidating your loans and just making a larger problem at a lower interest rate, why don't we actually solve the problem today and help you pay, make those payments in the most efficient way possible? So that's what we created. Well, let's dig in then, man. Uh, tell me how it works. Is it browser-based? Is it an app? How does, how does the Destiny app work? Yeah, so it is. It's mobile native. So we okay. have, uh, we're cross-platform. So we have a mobile app on both the Android and iOS stores. And what it does is we believe in the avalanche debt repayment method. There's six different types. You've probably heard of Financial Peace University or Dave Ramsey. They do more of the snowball method, which is where you pay your lowest total amount first and you get those little rewards as you go. Ours is the avalanche method, which we believe that paying your highest interest first, regardless of the amount, is really the most efficient way to saving yourself money in the long run. So what our app does is Destiny creates a plan for you. It takes in your income and your expenses. It takes in all the information on your debt. So your student loans, credit card loans, auto loans, home loans, all of that. Uh, We then find a little bit of margin in your income and expenses. And then we help you categorize and organize how much money you're going to pay towards each individual debt on a monthly basis. So we're trying to knock out the highest interest first. And from there, we just save you money. And so our average 
our average user right now is saving $3,000 in the first year, which is tremendous. Um, and that's not necessarily cash in their hand. Obviously that is more of their, their net worth. So you're actually saving yourself $3,000 on how much you are worth per year. And it's just been tremendous. We've actually um, been kind of overwhelmed by the, uh, by the impact we have created so far. It's been a blessing and we've really seen some transformational things happen and impact happen in people's lives. So so when you say it's toward their net worth, it's I mean, really, in a lot of cases, I'll bet it's three thousand dollars less money going toward interest. It was going to quote the man, and that's they, right, you're, that's paying, right. you're paying down your debt quicker. That's right. How do you guys do that? Is it a is it an algorithm that you use? It's it's uh, looking at when credit card payments are due. Tell me a little bit about what's under the hood. It's a little bit of all of that. Sweet, so my co-founder Jerry Workman and I uh, created an algorithm that basically looks at the most opportune time in the month to make certain payments. It also looks at your total payment and your interest rates and when it makes sense to make those payments for you. So right now the app is completely manual, but over the next two months, we're going to be building automacy in there to where you're going to be able to upload your accounts and we're going to be able to pay those debts for you at the most opportune time during the month. Um, And what that does for us is that allows us to create a huge amount of interest savings like you had mentioned. Um, but at the same time, educating you on why that's important. Why is it important to pay, you know, my credit card at this point in the month? Why is it important for me to pay this certain credit card versus maybe my student loans? You know, one of the interesting things that we found is some people have a lot of credit, you know, a lot of people have a lot, like the average millennial right now has $10,000 in credit card debt, Mm -hmm. which is just incredible. At the same time, they have $40,000 in student loans. And so most people think, wow, maybe I should be paying a little bit towards my student loans because I'll have those for, you know, this is the bigger number. In reality, it's like, no, 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 no. That $10,000 credit card debt could become 40 grand if you're not careful. So we like to educate them along the way as to why we're doing what we're doing. And then at the end of the day, we're again trying to create as much impact as possible for that person over that year. how How does that work? How are you able to educate people? Yeah. So in the app, we actually have, um, it's all open to you. So you actually see how much money you're putting towards uh, your debt. We also have, uh, and I should have said this in the beginning, but um, the first step in any financial plan or any debt recovery plan is an emergency fund. The average millennial goes into debt for the first time because of an emergency cost. And the average family can't withstand $400 hit to their budget. So the first step in our app is to open up an emergency fund with us on the platform. It gets your, uh, it gets, it's, it's an FDIC insured checking account with our banking partner. And what that does is it gets your money out of sight and out of mind. You can still use it like a checking account. It's just here with us in the app that allows you to like, when you look at your, you know, bank of America statement or whatever, it's not with your normal stuff. I love that uh, idea. Cause we always talk about the problem with emergency funds. As you know, people, they put that together with their checking account yep. and then it gets messy. The, the, the first time something comes up, instead of making your brain think about it a little bit, you just immediately use this money that was supposed to be for an emergency instead. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you go on vacation, maybe, you know, millennials are very, uh, they love experiences and it's really easy to just move money in and out of that checking account to your savings account. Right. Yeah. So we like to get it out of their purview. And so what that's doing is it's basically teaching them financial planning principles without really like sitting them down and um, beating over their head why they need to be doing what they're doing. We're doing it automatically for them. And then the second phase of that is their debt recovery. And so they're actually visibly able to see what's happening on a per credit card basis. And as we continue to build the platform, we're going to build educational articles, educational things that's like actually happening when they're in that section of their debt. So say they're in the student loan recovery, we're going to be educating them about how they can do certain things to, you know, if they're getting bonuses or if they're getting anything that can go towards that, like say they're at a job where the employer has student loan forgiveness. 
um, we'll be able to partner with people like that and provide them as much education as possible pertaining exactly to what they're experiencing. That's cool. When you talk about visualizing, people can mm-hmm. see, you said, where they're at. You have, is it a visualization? Like I'm envisioning a mountain graph. Tell me about the visualization of seeing yes. the deck go down. Yes, sir. So we're actually in what we call MVP stage at this point. So we've got a lot of um, visualization stuff more towards that coming along with like avalanche and mountains and and that visualization. But for us, our biggest piece right now is, is when the user downloads the app, they go through their onboarding process where they're loading up their income and expense information and their debt information. And then before we actually ask them to be a subscribed user paying for us, we show them in real dollars, how much we're going to save them that year. So say you go through there, you plug in all your information, we're going to pop up and say, hey, Joe, we're going to save you $7,000 in 2019. The next stage is to actually ask them to be a subscriber. If they don't want to, then great. If, they, if we can only save them you know, a small amount of money that they find insignificant, then great. That's perfect. At least you know where you stand with your debt. But if we can save you a lot of money, then it's kind of a no-brainer for you to click on over the next page and, and sign up with us. But it's funny, the reason why, you know, Dave Ramsey goes with the, not the avalanche method, but with the snowball method is because mm-hmm. of the fact that people need these wins. It sounds like what you've done is used the more mathematical avalanche method, but you still put those wins back for people. So you're still getting the wins that Ramsey says are important, but mathematically you're helping people speed up the process. That's exactly right. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, the site for people to get more is yourdestinyapp.com. And you and I, just before the call, you, uh, you said that Stacky Benjamin's listeners are going to get something a little cool. This was awesome. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate it. Well, listen, we love the show and everything. We've been longtime followers. So um, we're going to do a promo code for Stacking uh, Benjamin followers. Uh, it's going to be the promo code is going to be stacking in all caps. And that's actually going to get you half off Destiny for the first year. So our normal user, the annual cost is $120, so 10 bucks a month. Um, but for Stacking Benjamin uh, podcast listeners, it's going to be half off for 60 bucks a year. That is awesome. And by the way, yes, and I forgot to ask you that question. That that was a question that somehow slipped through the, the tracks. Obviously, that's how you guys make money. Are there other ways that you guys make money as well? Absolutely. So we are uh, super excited. Actually, this morning I had a conversation with a new partner of ours. We have three channel distribution partners of ours. So organizations that we've partnered with and try to help their users as much as possible. And it's been a lot of fun in doing so. So the first one is universities. We have been extremely fortunate to get involved with a couple of universities here in the heartland, and we're continuing to grow that segment. I mean, basically, that's really focusing in on student loan repayment, trying to get students to pay off those debts as efficiently as possible with the amount of money that they're making and that sort of thing, and then allowing them the ability to pay back to their institutions that provided them with that education as fast as possible, too. Oh, cool. So we speed up that recovery time for universities to start having a great alumni network. The second one is churches. I'm a kingdom mindset individual. I was raised a Christian my whole life. And so we have a really good extensive network with churches. And so we've been partnering with them, kind of similar to Financial Peace University, a little different model, but it's really the same principle there. We're trying to help their congregation who's already hyper aware of finances better their financial life. And then the third one is what I would call um, advisors. So again, I was a financial advisor and always wanted a tool where if I had someone walk through my door that I didn't have to turn them away because they didn't have enough money, right? So we partner with advisors trying to help their users better their debt situation so they can be better people for advisors to work with. And with those groupings, we have different revenue structures with each one. And that's really where a lot of our uh, new growth has come from. Got you. Cool. And once again, the link is yourdestinyapp.com or you can go, can you just go to the app store as well? 
Absolutely. Yes, sir. Gotcha. So we're live on both Android and iOS. And we'll have uh, links there in our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Parker, thanks a ton for telling us about the Destiny app. Seriously, thank you so much, Joe. I look forward to talking to you guys again soon, hopefully. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're celebrating the nice being founded today. Someone spelled this wrong. Nice is spelled N-I-C-E, not N-Y-S-E. What the hell? I'm just saying, oh, all right, all right, I'll just do the trivia. Get off my back. Anywho, everyone here seems to be excited about the nice. Man, our guest Nate must be super excited. Nice socks, Nate. I'm getting the hang of this. I thought nice has been around forever, but apparently people are telling me that it actually was founded. Well, well, you know what? Let's just make that today's trivia. Let's do that. While I'm sure you all know that some guys got together in 1792 and started trading stocks under a, a tree or I don't know, like in a swamp or something. In what year on today's date was the nice constitution created? I'll be back with your super nice answer in just a moment. I hope uh, everyone knows the NYSE is the uh, New York Stock Exchange. So I think what he's trying to ask is something a little different than he thinks. Kind of, Paula, like uh, the, the bar that may not mean what you think it means. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think of all the wedding invitations that you probably just threw in the trash not knowing what open bar meant. You're like, oh, I'm not going to that. <laughs> Her liver thanks her, right? (laughs) We explain this convoluted game to Nate backstage where we play Price's Right Style. And Nate is playing on behalf of Len Penzo this week. And Len won last week, finally. And the score now, the the score now, Paula, is Len 2, you have 2, and OG still has 4. So that means, Paula, you get to decide, are you going to guess when the NYSE had its first constitution, not created, but its first constitution kind of really organizing it so they're not just trading stocks under a tree. Do you want to guess first in the middle or last? I will guess last. Wow, that's weird. Nate, you are second. Would you like to guess in the middle or first? I'll guess in the middle. Uh, Huh, that's (laughs) strange too. This game never goes (laughs) like this. (laughs) <laughs> Except every time. So, OG, I guess we start with you. The first constitution for the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, created in what year? All right. Let me think about this a little bit. This seems very similar to the time frame that Woolworth started from last Friday. Just so everybody knows, I got that right as close as humanly possible. The rest of the people had no idea, and I got hosed out of another victory. Paula missed this, by the way. And just to catch everybody up, what happened, Paula? Chelsea mm-hmm. Brennan playing on behalf of you. OG had no idea, but he guessed three. OG had a very strong idea. <laughs> yes, he did. He guessed it was three years before Woolworth was actually created. Had no idea. 1872 or something I picked. Yes. And and Chelsea decided to uh, price his right in by going 1873. Len then decided to price his right her and go 1874, and the answer was 1875. Wow. Yes. Oh. And all of them said that they were thinking in the mid-1900s, but, <laughs> right. you know, so right. I, I anchored them. So I'm going to do it again here, too. So 
NYSE not founded, but when was our constitution written? That seems like it would be similarly the same time. So it seems like they would be able to start trading and write their constitution around the same time. So I'm going to say uh, first constitution, uh, 1812. We're going to wars with the British. We're creating constitutions. We're getting all crazy here in the U.S. of A. Sure. Uh, Nate, your turn, man. No Googling, Nate. No, no Googling. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, He's I like up too late. That, no, no, no. I, I'm actually just sitting here in a chair and, uh, and I'm just trying to think I'm about, just, you know, like whether or not the U S Americans at that point in time were really big on constitutions. And I do know that the other constitution was written in the 1700s. So I'm going to guess just, I don't know, a year after 1793, 1793, they did it right away. Paula, this gives you a conundrum. It does. It does. So I am also leaning towards it was done sooner rather than later. I'm feeling as though it might have happened before 1812 because, you know, we went to war at that time. And so we probably had some other stuff on our minds. I won't be a total jerk about it. So I'll say 1790. So you were nice enough to give Nate three years. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Nate gets the guest appreciation right there. <laughs> I did that out of sheer politeness. Yes. She didn't completely screw you over, Nate. I appreciate that. Paula seems like a very kind person. And so uh, uh, many thanks, Paula. Uh, but I'm curious. So, so, you know, I've got a short time span. So, So what is the number? So what is it? Well, that's where, just like uh, American Idol, we leave you right here for a second. Ah. Thanks to Murder Book, the new true crime podcast hosted by bestselling author Michael Connolly for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Returning to his roots as a journalist, bestselling author Michael Connolly now presents the true crime podcast Murder Book, working with the very detectives who inform his novels and his hit television show, Bosch. The podcast explores real-life homicide cases not covered by mainstream media. What's what's amazing is I can't believe they're not covered by mainstream media because just some crazy stuff, just some absolutely crazy crime. And sometimes it seems pretty straightforward, but of course, most of the time, if you know Michael Connolly, there's always stuff going on under the hood that you didn't expect and you didn't know anything about. Murder Book Season 1, by the way, is one of those. It's the telltale bullet. It dives into a 30-year-old Hollywood carjacking gone wrong that tests the limits of the American criminal justice system. Also, by the way, from Michael Connolly, Dark Sacred Night. That's his latest, number one bestseller featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. How many bestsellers in a row is that? New York Times number one? Is that, what, what like 567 of those for Michael Connolly? The guy just cranks out number one bestsellers. Be sure to check out Michael Connolly's new Murder Book podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast as soon as you're done listening to this one. Of course, you can go to murderbookpodcast.com. That's murderbookpodcast.com. OG 1812, War and uh, and Constitutions for the NYSC. Constitutions, fighting bad guys in their free time. I love it. Yeah, Nate, uh, 1793. You know, 1792 is the year Columbia sailed the ocean blue. So you're pretty close there. And then, <laughs> and then, 
And then Paula, 1796. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Doug, take it from there. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and crisis averted. I was about to report this trivia as fraudulent. Everyone knows that even Brutus was nice to Caesar until, well, you know, that one time when the, well, anyway, apparently this word nice spelled N-Y-S-E is actually short for the New York Stock Exchange. I, I, I knew that. I, I probably do that. Well, now this trivia is beginning to make sense to me. Here was today's question for just spelling it out for those of you who were just, you know, maybe not quite as smart as I was. But anyway, here's, here's the question. What year was the NYSE constitution created? It's so much easier when you spell it out like that. Well, if you said 1907, you'd be absolutely 100% wrong. <laughs> Oh, you're such a nerd. Man, do you stink at history? No, 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 no. The NYSE reorganized well before then on today's date by instituting some new reforms. They placed restrictions on manipulative trading as well as their first formal organs of governance. Organs of governance, that's funny. They also began renting out space exclusively for securities trading, which uh, previously had been taking place uh, over there at that hopping joint called the Tontine Coffee House. Oh my God, that place was off the hook. All of this started on today's date back in 1817. See ya. Whoa. Wow. Paul- Just hang out here, put another tick mark in the column for OG. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit surprising to take so long for that, a constitution. That like was the a- rules of some sort of large organization. I guess it wasn't that large back then, but holy smokes. Well, and I know, Nate, being a professional in that industry, trading individual stocks, like waiting that long to have laws on manipulative trading, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that took him a while. Yeah. I could Maybe see- just people back then weren't manipulating at all. And it wasn't until 1816 when they decided to start being manipulative. (laughs) Maybe. Are you at Earl over in the corner going, guys, we don't want to ruin a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) 1792 through 1816, the heyday of free for all trading. That's right. Insider trading, coercion, all that stuff. Wow. That's cool. Hey guys, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you find those financial products you use every day. Guess what? They're nowhere near the best in class. Over 92% of the products available online all ranked at magnify money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. And today we're going to magnify a question sent to us from our new friend, Kristen. Say hi, Kristen. Hey guys, Kristen here from Florida. Here's my question for you. My husband and I are high income professionals. We are putting two kids through college. We have about $60,000 in consumer loan debt, which I am actively paying off. They are car loans, not credit card debt. We own a house and an office building, both of which have a mortgage. We have about $10,000 in savings, and we are actively putting our two kids through college 
currently no student loan debt for either our kids or ourselves, which is great. But we have zero saved for retirement. My question for you is, in what order should I be attacking our financial independence at this point? Should I pay off all the consumer loan debt first and then work to build up the savings and then save for retirement? Or should I be trying to do all three at the same time? It's a little overwhelming when there's only so much money to go around. So your thoughts would be super helpful. I appreciate you and your show from a thankful listener. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the question, Kristen. And uh, Nate, she's got lots of priorities, doesn't she? We'll let you go first. What do you think she should do? Start eating ramen and sell those cars and buy something reasonable. I, I, I don't know. I, and maybe even tell her kids to get a part-time job at school. You know, it's hard whenever you don't know all of the, you know, everything about what's going on in her life. And, you know, she describes herself as high net worth, but if they've only got 10,000 in, in savings and nothing stacked away for, for retirement and not knowing what her age is, I would think that, you know, she's probably pretty far behind the curve. And, I, you know, for me personally, when I think about debt and when I think about trying to get loose of that debt, the first and foremost thing I do is just look at the interest rate for, or interest rate or on a relative basis, how much you're paying in interest. And I would just focus, first of all, on paying down the higher interest bearing debt. I would also have $60,000 in car loans. Sounds like Kristen might be living a little bit above her means and I'd probably just sit down and say, hey, look, we need to really evaluate sort of what our priorities are. So yeah, uh, I would consider paying down the debt that, again, carries the highest interest rate. And I'd also look at maybe selling those cars. Paula? So this is not going to be a popular answer. Like she, I don't think she's going to like this, but I don't think, I, I would... don't think, I don't think Nate's answer would have been popular with her either. <laughs> <laughs> First, I would stop any additional support for the children in college. And the reason for that is because, frankly, they have time on their side and you do not. They can take out student loans. You cannot take out a retirement loan. They have 40 more years until they reach retirement. You have significantly less than 40. So retirement is a higher priority than sending your kids to college. And I know that that is not something that people like to hear. But the fact of the matter is we're talking about people who have time on their side versus people who do not. And that's Oops. that's how it shakes out. The other thing that I would say is absolutely the $60,000 worth of uh, car loans for two cars. It sounds like those are very expensive cars. I would sell the cars immediately and then drive whatever you can buy in cash. I thought the whole reason why you had kids was so that they would take care of you whenever they get older. Don't you want them to have a good high income job like theirs? That's a very good point, actually, that if one of the greatest gifts that you can give your kids is the ability to not worry about mom and dad's retirement. So if you pay for your children's college, but then your kids are worried about how are mom and dad going to retire, that's not actually a service that you've done for them. I, no, it's a very good point. Yeah, and I was kidding. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think I think Paula even knew you were kidding. But we, I have to tell you, though, Nate, when we 
traveled recently with my twins who both have good jobs, they were always still happy to let dad spend the big podcasting money wherever we, <laughs> wherever we went. <laughs> Two kids make it more on that than, than we do here by far. Like, no, dad, aren't you picking up this check? Yeah. Yes, I am. But, uh, OG, what do you, what do you think? Anything to add? Well, I have a lot of ideas. So let's assume from an office standpoint that you're occupying some of the office building and you have the opportunity to lease out some of it. So the first thing that I want to do is kind of just go piece by piece. I want to make the office building pay for itself. So if you have maybe, I'm just thinking uh, you're a law firm and you own the office building and right now you're writing a check for it, you need to have lawyers start, you know, the other people on your team start kicking in for the cost of the building then when it comes to the car piece, I'm kind of with everybody else here. Although I don't think two $30,000 cars are really that fancy. This is kind <laughs> of sort of crunch time, you know, and maybe you're driving two Toyota minivans that you just bought. Maybe you should pair that down to one. And you just have to, like Paula said, you just have to figure out what your priorities are. Is it more important to look like you have a million bucks or is it more important to actually get to a million bucks? So maybe you kind of get rid of one of those. And I also like the idea of telling the kids, hey, we got you this far. And if we can help you pay off the student loans in 20 years from now, when we're in retirement, we will do that. And maybe we'll even pay you back for the student loans if we have enough money. But if you're 50 today and you say, how do I, because this is a common theme. It's not just, this is unique to Kristen. Right. This is a lot of people. Yes, right. You know, this is hey, I'm finally deciding at 50 that I should probably sort of get my stuff together. You know, I got two kids in college. What do I do? Understand that it's not off the reservation that you retire, but you're not retiring at 55. You have to think about like, okay, this is a 20-year time horizon. You need to save $5,000 a month. And if you did that, you can kind of sort of get close to about a eight to $10,000 a month lifestyle in today's dollars. So you said you're high income. So maybe you make $200,000 a year right now. Maybe you spend $10,000 a month on your Amex card. That's your household budget, so to speak. If you want to recreate that in 20 years from now, you need to start saving five or $6,000 a month today. And however you manifest that five or $6,000 for the next 20 years is up to you. If you're a business owner, just go make an extra $60,000. You know, Maybe that's the right answer. We talk a lot about cutting down things, but maybe the right answer is go sell more stuff for serve more patients or, you know, sell more widgets or whatever the case may be. But uh, the great part about financial planning, I think that most people underappreciate is that it is just one big giant math problem. And if you say, hey, I got 20 years to save enough money to, to pay me $10,000 a month in today's dollars, I can tell you, you need to save five or $6,000 a month, plus or minus. However you decide to do that is entirely up to you. Probably easiest if you get rid of uh, an office building payment. If you can have other people help you out with that, get rid of a car payment and then tell the kids, we got you this far. Welcome to adulthood. <laughs> Let me introduce <laughs> you to your new best friend, Mr. And Mrs. Sally May. <laughs> <laughs> My new best friend, FAFSA. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever waited tables, Junior? Let me, let me show you what it means to, to refill some water. Yeah. And, and it's funny, very, very common problem um, that when you look at the statistics, uh, uh, Kristen, a lot of people, a lot of people where Kristen is right now fighting that, uh, fighting that battle. Thanks for the question. 
And Kristen is taking home a Greatest Money Show Unearth t-shirt for being brave enough to send us that question. If you've got a question cool. for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com. On the top of the page, you'll see the questions for the show link. Click that and uh, you'll find all the ways to talk to us. That's going to do it for today, guys. Let's talk about what's going on where you live. Uh, Paula, what's happening at that amazing Afford Anything podcast? On the Afford Anything podcast, well, every other episode, I answer questions that come in from the audience, giving people more answers that they don't want to hear. And on half of those episodes, there's a certain guy by the name of Joe Saul Cihai who appears on the show. Which is funny because I never answer questions here on Friday. You guys do it. So I come over to your show to help, <laughs> help you do it over there. Exactly. Exactly. Also on the Afford Anything podcast, we have an author named Elaine Pofelt who talks about the one person million dollar business. So she has done a deep dive into researching businesses that gross one million or more and have zero employees. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. And it's a growing, it's a small but growing uh, subset of the population. Which, which I was reading a, um, I was listening to a podcast recently talking about how when you look at entrepreneurship statistics lately, they're really, really down. So we need more entrepreneurs in that specific category. So that's, that's cool stuff. We'll link to the Afford Anything podcast on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. OG, what do you got coming up this coming week? Oh, this week is going to be a really fun week for me. A lot of travel coming up over the next uh, over the next month and a half. I'm actually in Seattle today, having a wonderful breakfast, and then um, next week I I get to travel all the way across country and do a little bit of my after school activity. It's starting to get into that season again. Awesome. So Mrs. OG's not excited about that. But then uh, right on the heels of that, we're going to the mountains to go skiing for spring break. So I feel bad just a really. For you. I know, just a really fun couple of weeks of uh, of hanging out family time and doing some some fun things that I like to do. I don't know how you endure all that. That really skiing that's tough. Nate, thanks. Well, it is at eight thousand feet, so I will lose my breath. I'm sure <laughs> you, you probably will. <laughs> Nate, I'm so happy you joined us today. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us, man. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks a ton for for having me on. It was it was a lot of fun. Well, well, tell everybody what's coming up soon on the Investing with the Buy Side podcast. Yeah, well, the hope is that I'll get an interview with a large utility um, called Excel Energy posted. Um, you know, oftentimes I got to get clearance from the management team to to post the interviews that that I conduct. So uh, sometimes it takes a few days, and sometimes it takes several weeks. And uh, so hopefully I'll get that taken care of. And and I've got a couple of other um, interesting things that hopefully I'll be able to talk about on the website. But yeah, just trying to find the next interview too. So the daily grind of running a podcast, which being new at is uh, is a big change relative to, to my previous <laughs> life, professional lifestyle. And you also have a blog over at investingwithabuyside.com and transcripts over there? Yeah, yeah. Occasionally there'll be a couple of my own words on there in a blog post, awesome. but most everything on the uh, on the blog post is just the transcripts. And we'll link to all that, investing with the buy side, good stuff on uh, stackybenjamins.com. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? I tell you what, Joe, if these nerds were paying attention today, here's what they probably learned first. Take sound advice from Nate and our roundtable team. Looking for the terms you need to know for a successful future? 
If you don't understand something, look it up. That's what the Googler machine is for. Financial terms are like riding a bike and knowing them can pay dividends in the future. Second, though, you know, focus on just learning the terms you need. There's a huge world out there in investing land, and the good news is you don't need to know it all today. Take your time. Take the pressure off yourself. Just chip away at it. But the big lesson, don't let Joe and OG get to you just because you thought the nice was the nice spelled incorrectly. Some people, you're trying to help them out. They still just want to make you feel miserable, miserable. God, they're just jerk faces. You guys suck. Special thanks to Nate Abercrombie for stopping by the basement. You can find Nate's podcast, Investing with the Buy Side, wherever you're listening to Stacking Benjamins. Thanks also to Parker Graham from the Destiny app for stopping by. You'll find links to the app in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com or by stopping by yourdestinyapp.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Okay, I've sat here trying to think of something pleasant to say after that, and I can't. Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. Nate, what happens in the after show stays in the after show. We never talk stays about it. Stays here. Just, just so you know. Okay. It's our, it's our version of it's Fight like Club. like Fight Club, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, Paula, as you were talking about not knowing what the mini bar is, a lot of times people <laughs> run into situations where they don't know, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And there's other times when just things happen that are a little horrifying. I did not realize once when I was taking clients to dinner, I'll give you guys an example of what I'm talking about. I was taking clients to dinner. I was a financial planner and I had left my wallet at home. But what's cool was I kept my debit card in a safe because I ran everything through my credit card and I rarely use my debit card. So I kept it in a safe at the office. I'm like, well, I don't have my wallet while I'm taking these clients to dinner, but I have my debit card. So I'm good. Everything's fine. I didn't know 
my dad was helping me get some things. My dad had, uh, at the time, was working for one of the big uh, wholesale companies that help people furnish houses and stuff and building supplies. And I had purchased some stuff from him. He had had a check bounced to him, which meant that momentarily his bank account had been cleaned out, which meant that my bank account then had zero dollars in it overnight as I'm taking these high net worth clients to dinner, but I didn't know it. Hmm. So I'm sitting at this dinner with my clients and we're having a great time and the bill comes and I just very confidently put my debit card down and <laughs> the waiter walks <laughs> off. Then the waiter comes back and goes, um, sir, can I, can I have a word with you? Cause you could kind of tell it was a professional relationship. And I'm like, Oh no, no. What is it, man? Like thinking it's, there's nothing that could be a big enough deal. I'm a pretty open book. Nothing that could be a big enough deal <laughs> that I can't say it in front of my clients. The guy's like, uh, no, um, can I just talk to you in the, in the, I'm like, and then I start to get a little indignant. I'm like, there is no reason you need to talk to me in the back. Why don't you just come out and say it? And the guy goes, your car was declined. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I tur I turned to my clients, just absolutely horrified. I have no idea what went wrong. And I said, um, do you guys mind buying me dinner? <laughs> and then I tried to make it a laugh. And we actually, they were clients of mine for a long time after that. And we had a laugh about that every time we met. Hey, Joe, you want us to take you out to dinner? That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> I ended up, by the way, buying later on, sending them the money to reimburse them. But that was... That was a horrifying money thing. But I think, Paula, you know, that's obviously nuclear versus yours. But anything uh, financial that's a story like not remembering open bar? I mean, that sounds really embarrassing. Mine is just, a, oh, ha ha, she doesn't know the meaning of that phrase. But man, that one's embarrassing. Len Penzo, by the way, to tell embarrassing stories about him while he's not here. Perfect. I believe that he has a blog post about forgetting his wallet at a restaurant and having that moment where he imagined himself having to go in the back and just wash dishes for the next eight hours. <laughs> what what ended up happening? Do you know? I, I don't remember. I read that post like years ago, but he's definitely got something about it on a site somewhere. For myself, money thing. I can't think of a, a story. I mean, I can't top a story like that. In terms of people, People who go a little bit too out there about money or who get too exuberant or enthusiastic. I've definitely gone to a lot of meetups where uh, yeah. you know, somebody's come up to me and just gone there. You can see this gleam in their eyes and they're totally like off the deep end. And they're like, why aren't you buying apartment buildings and then office buildings and then skyscrapers? And then why don't you buy the entire city of Manila in the Philippines? Like, well, how come you don't own all of Singapore yet? They've got so much enthusiasm. And I'm like, dude, dude, calm down. Yeah, right. how, how much real estate do you own so far? Right. And they're like, well, none yet. <laughs> I'm right. Yeah. Well, I had something very similar happen to me, Paula, that was like that. I was cornered at a party by a guy and he's talking to me. He's like, he's like, oh, you do some, you, you do investing. And he's going all into this technical analysis stuff. And he's talking about, you know, trend lines and whatever. And the upside down teacup. And he's going on and on and on about the upside down teacup. And when you see that first blip, which is just the handle of the teacup, you don't get in then. You wait for the big end of the teacup. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him. And I finally said, how much money are we talking about? How much money do you have? And the guy goes, excuse me? And I said, 
well, how much money are you doing this with? This is fascinating. I don't do any of this. How much money do you do it with? And the guy's like, yeah, I'm getting ready to start saving because I really think that this is going to be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nate, how about you? You've got to have some. You know, it's funny because I apologize. I don't know if you talk about the question whenever you're, you make it known to the listeners that there was this question that you had your guests answer. But, you know, when I read that, that, that question, any story about using the wrong word, and then I saw, or a story about money, I kind of felt like maybe my story about using the wrong word would be just a little bit funnier. Right. And it's, it's, it's a story about how I met my wife, actually. So before I went to grad school, I, I moved to Syria and I lived in Damascus for two years and I studied Arabic. I was in this class at the University of Damascus with a bunch of other expats, a bunch of other foreigners. And there's this really pretty French girl that sat next to me. I, I'll admit, like I had a crush on her. Like for me, it was seeing a beautiful French girl and this, you know, nobody from Oklahoma sitting next to this pretty French girl. I was a little bit embarrassed and just out of sorts. And out of the blue, she leans over and she says to me, hey, excuse me, do you have a rubber? And I said, what? And she goes, a rubber. I need a rubber. And I said, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't carry rubbers with me, especially at school. And she was like, no, it's right there. And she was pointing at my pencil and it rubber, the British version of eraser is rubber. And she learned, you know, the British version of English. So she was asking me for an eraser. She wasn't asking me for a rubber, but we clearly hit it off. (laughs) You were slightly disappointed. Yeah, slightly disappointed. No, more than like, slightly. Well, I think we could acquire one if it's really yeah. important. <laughs> Let me run home real fast. I went to an expensive restaurant with a girlfriend, and I was I was pretty nervous. And I'm a farm boy from the west side of Michigan, and it's one of my first times in an expensive restaurant. And and I'm just over 21. And I get this, I get the menu. And I very confidently look up at the guy because they have the they have the full bottle, which is too expensive for me. They've got a glass. I know we're going to want a couple glasses. So the guy comes up and I said, yes, I'll have a I'll have a Carafea wine. And the, <laughs> and the guy looks at me and just says, I'll bring you a carafe of wine. And I went, yeah, but C-A-R-A-F-E. I was like, of course, it's a Carafe. Uh, oh, gee, you got the last one, I'm sure. Well, that story about the carafe, I've got a funny one, but I can't tell it because Mrs. OG will just kill me. I was thinking about the money thing. I remember when, back when I was a financial planner, like early, early, early on, you know, our business, as you know and have articulated, Joe, was at the time very sales oriented. And when you started as an advisor, it was, you know, there was no safety net. It was today you got a paycheck, tomorrow, maybe not. And God forbid you actually still had expenses like uh, technology and software and your computer lease and office space and phone usage and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes you got negative paychecks, which were just a whole other thing. I remember my mom saying, hey, you finally made it. How much is your paycheck? And I went, it was like negative $300. But that's good because last two weeks ago, it was negative 900. So I'm actually moving up. You know, I made 600. They took it all. Yeah. 
so I'm living in this really crappy apartment and there's two stories that go with this. The first thing is, is that my brother, who's not, not steak brother, but the one between me and steak brother, uh, he gave me a couch because I needed a couch for the apartment. And about a year after he gave it to me, he, he, we're talking and he says something and he says, wait a second, do you still have that couch? And I said, yeah, actually appreciate it. Thank you so much. He's like, I can't believe you actually still have it. And I said, why wouldn't you? He says, that wasn't my couch. I said, <laughs> so where, where did you get it? He said, like, literally, I found it on the side of the road on the way down to your apartment. <laughs> and he said, and I thought to myself, I bet you I can convince OG to take this couch into his house. And if I tell him it was mine. And so, so he, so he put, he, he was just all over himself how great this was. But um, anyways, I was living on oyster crackers. I was driving 90 miles each way to my office and I didn't pay my car payment. You know, I didn't have a very expensive car, but I didn't pay it. And I didn't pay the next month either. And I get up one morning and my car's gone. And I'm like, oh, and so I call my brother who not steak brother again, because he's a, he was a little kid at the time. But I call my other brother. I go, dude, somebody stole my car. He's like, uh, are you sure? And I said, well, I'm sure that I parked it right in front of my apartment yesterday. And this morning I went to go to work and it's not there. He says, or you call the police. You might want to call the apartment complex and uh, see if they have a towing company that they use. I'm like, why would they tow it? He says, have you made your payment recently? I said, well, I'm just 60 days behind. What's the big deal? Yeah, you're going to want to call your loan company first. So I call him and I said, hey, uh, I'm about to make a payment here, but uh, real quick, uh, is there any chance that you guys may have taken this thing? <laughs> As a matter of fact, we did. And you can go get it. And the meter's running at, you know, $100 an hour over oh. at Bob's Towing downtown and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, we talk about like different things. I always tell people that every financial mistake that you think you've made, I've already done twice. It's so funny. And, uh, how thankfully, this is one I've only done one time. It's so funny how <laughs> you and I, you and I have had those dark past stories. That oh, are just, just ridiculous. Uh, I could write a book. Uh, about oh, my. Just horrible stuff. I love, believe it or not, Jeff Oxworthy, the comedian, has an autobiography, and he talks about when his car got repoed, and the repo guy comes to get it, and he's like, hey, that your Firebird? Yeah. He goes, well, uh, we're taking it. Sorry. Unless you can come up with $275 right now. Jeff Oxworthy goes, $275? I don't have that kind of money. And the repo guy said, nothing? The guy goes, no, I got nothing. The guy goes, can't you write a check? And Jeff goes, check? I thought you wanted real money. Let me pay the whole thing off. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how that conversation went. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the 
Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.